Hey folks, the House January 6th committee is back in action. This week's hearing focuses on the connection between Trump associates and the far-right extremist groups that came to Washington for the insurrection. Plus, there has been a flurry of news around Steve Bannon. On Saturday night, after months of defying a congressional subpoena, Bannon notified the House January 6th committee that he is now willing to testify. But is it a ploy? Meanwhile, Bannon is scheduled to stand trial next week on charges of contempt of Congress. On Monday, a federal judge denied Bannon's request to push the trial back. In other news related to the big lie, the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, issued subpoenas to several of Trump's closest allies, including Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham. I talk about all this and more on the latest episode of the Cafe Insider podcast. With Joyce Vance out this week, I'm joined by my friend and former colleague, Dan Goldman, who is now running for Congress in New York. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. With me today is not Joyce Vance, who's on vacation. I'm here with Dan Goldman. Dan Goldman, what have you done with Joyce? I sent her out to um, do some work with her chickens, and she just never came back. Can you remind folks, I think our audience knows you very well, from being on the program and on Stay Tuned and from television, uh, you had something to do with that first impeachment of Donald Trump, am I right? Yeah, a little something. Uh, I was the lead counsel on the uh, first impeachment investigation. That's right. That I mean, there have been so many impeachments since that it, I lose track. Uh, more importantly, you worked with me as an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. And most recently, you have announced that you were running for office. You're running for Congress in the 10th in New York, which is a very crowded field. Uh, how's that going? It's going great. It's really going well. When the redistricting happened in New York, which I know you followed a little bit on your various podcasts, there was an open seat that came out of it in my, the district where I have lived for 16 years in lower Manhattan and Brooklyn, where I'm raising my five children. And, you know, as we've talked about many times, Preet, and as we're going to see today, with the January 6th hearings, another one, uh, the threats to our country, our democracy, our fundamental rights are, are unlike anything I've certainly ever seen in, in my lifetime. And I speak to many people on the campaign trail uh, who are older than I am, who lived through the 60s and say that this is unlike anything they've seen. And with these threats to our democracy, it, it felt like a somewhat of a obligation for me to use the skills and experience that I gained working for you in the Southern District of New York for 10 years and then leading the impeachment investigation down in Washington and taking on Trump, standing up to him, proving the case against him, even if he ultimately was uh, not convicted, even the Republican senators acknowledged that we did that that those are relevant and important skills, experience, aggressiveness, strength, creativity that we really need in Washington, both to stand up to him, but also to move forward and get results for many of the policies that, you know, those in my district in New York and that I feel very strongly about. And as, as you and I talked about last week or the week before, if you were lucky enough to get elected to Congress 
but the Democrats are unlucky enough not to keep the Congress or the House, you might find yourself in the position of being on the other side of an impeachment. That is correct. I I think we all need to be realistic about this, that if the House uh, flips to Republican control, you can expect Joe Biden to be impeached for one bogus reason or another. I'm not going around uh, talking a lot about that because I really hope it doesn't happen. But obviously, uh, if the Republicans do take over the majority, I think my experience with the impeachment investigation and being down in critical and, and high level investigations in Congress will then become even more valuable experience to the Democratic Party. So speaking of hearings and investigations, I guess we should start with the January 6th committee. And what, I, I, So I've been very complimentary of them, but I have a criticism today. So you and I are recording this in the 11 a.m. hour on Tuesday, July 12th. The next hearing uh, is beginning in like an hour and a half at 1 p.m., so we will not have the benefit of watching that hearing. So my criticism is, you know, I have a lot of respect for the committee. They don't seem to have a lot of respect for the scheduling of the Insider podcast. I'm really surprised they didn't check uh, with you on the timing of their hearing. Maybe you could talk to Benny Thompson or Jamie Raskin or somebody, because it is very, it's very inconvenient for us to tape this without hearing. So I'm going to ask you, because you're an expert prognosticator and seek to be a member of that body, what's, what's going to happen today? I guess we'll be able to see if you're right or wrong in a few hours. Yeah, this is really going out on a limb here. So, so we're, we understand this much, which is today's hearing is going to primarily focus on the connections between Donald Trump, the White House, and the domestic violent extremist groups, the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. In the first hearing, we got an extensive look at the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys uh, and their efforts and sort of very considered, premeditated efforts to storm the Capitol and to try to interfere with the counting of the electoral votes in Congress. Uh, Many of them have been charged with seditious conspiracy for doing exactly that, trying to violently impair, interfere with uh, a lawful uh, function, the actual uh, effectiveness of a law. Today, what I expect to see is the committee drawing the connections that we've all been waiting to see whether they exist between the premeditated, well-considered designs by the domestic violent extremist groups on January 6th with Donald Trump and the White House. And we know that there will be a lot of focus on a December 18th meeting in the White House with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Michael Flynn, where some of the wildest conspiracy theories and crazy ideas were apparently bandied about, including appointing Sidney Powell as a special counsel to investigate election fraud, seizing voting machines through the power of the federal government, among other things. There's so much crazy about the lead up to January 6th and in the actions and the conduct of the former president. But every once in a while, something galls me more than other things. I'm not sure why, I don't know if you feel this way. But this business about potentially appointing Sidney Powell Donald Trump's own personal lawyer to be special counsel, which is supposed to be an independent position, 
especially in the aftermath of Donald Trump attacking again and again and again, without basis, Robert Mueller as special prosecutor, special counsel. I don't know, that drives me up a wall. Well, not only that, in the aftermath of naming John Durham as a special counsel just before the election so that if Trump lost, the new Biden DOJ could not end what turned out to be the most pathetic and weight investigation and waste of resources ever. So this notion of a special counsel to be just sort of a an indelible and unremovable fixture of a personal vendetta by the, the outgoing president, you know, unfortunately, it's about 100 on the list of uh, abuses that Donald Trump used in office, but it is to us having uh, long careers in the Department of Justice, absolutely galling. Yes, it is. And so I, th- I think you were about to say the other thing that we might hear this afternoon, or likely we'll hear this afternoon, is some of the previously taped testimony of Pat Cipollone, who was the former White House counsel. And especially, I think, as it relates to that meeting on December 18th. And then that meeting preceded what is now the most famous tweet, which is, you know, uh, well, I forgot. I guess it's not that famous. I don't remember. But come to Washington (laughs) on January 6th. It will be wild. It will be wild. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, and, you know, in some ways, I wish we could preview this rather than have it happen after. But I will be very interested to see how much the committee draws a line on December 14th, because that is the date on which all of the states certified their electors. And as you remember from Bush v. Gore, that was the critical date in Bush v. Gore, too. And once that date passes and the electors are certified, the election is over. It is now just up to Congress to count the, you know, somewhat ceremonial counting of the votes. And the vice president is there overseeing the Congress to do that following uh, the new year, January 6th. But all legal avenues are completed by December 14th. And what clearly happened is after December 14th, all of the legal avenues had failed, failed, you know, miserably, as we know, with the 60 cases that went nowhere. But you can make an argument, and I think that the the allegations were frivolous, but you could certainly make an argument that that is the proper way to challenge an election. If you had any kind of concerns about the election, you would use legal challenges, you would present evidence, you would go to court, and you would have you know the, the elections overturned or at least reversed or what, whatever you want to do through legal recourse. That ends December 14th. Then you have December 14th to January 6th. And so everything from December 14th to January 6th is basically illegal and extra legal outside of the legal process. And I do think that it is going to be important as the Department of Justice thinks about this is using that as a dividing line. Because clearly what happened, you know, right after December 14th, which were when the fake electors were also created in some of the states, all the way up through January 6th, that is really when this coup attempt hit high gear. I think that's right. And I think that, you know, jumping to something that I wasn't going to talk about for a couple of minutes, how the Department of Justice is thinking about this is interesting. And there's a fairly deeply reported article in the New York Times in the last day or two. And I know both of the the authors who have bylines, and I think they're very careful reporters, and they write that the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson, 
uh, you know, Mark Meadows' aide in the White House from a week ago, hard to believe it's been already a week, has moved the needle on their thinking about potential criminality on the part of the former president. And it's interesting to me because we keep having this, this question and this debate about what the department is doing and how come they haven't been interviewing these witnesses. It's a little strange that an obvious witness, somebody who was in the thick of things, although at a junior level, you know, 25 or 26 year old aide, could have testimony that is surprising to the Department of Justice because they've had a year and a half since January 6th. They have the ability, and indeed they have, as you know, they have a better and more uh, credible ability to get testimony from folks. It's harder to evade requests from the Department of Justice. And yet the fact that they were surprised by the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson and the degree to which she helps to strip away these defenses that Trump might have about lack of knowledge or good faith belief that he had won the election. How does that strike you? Baffling. Absolutely baffling. And and I thought, look, I thought Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was incredibly compelling and provided the most insight into what was going on within the White House that we had seen to date. The critical legal point that she testified to is the fact that Trump knew that his supporters there on the ellipse who were going to go to the Capitol had weapons. That's the most we heard that we knew. Combined with the testimony that Trump said, get rid of the magnetometers. So the knowledge of weapons, plus the statement about getting rid of the magnetometers, combined further with his statement that they're not here to hurt me, it's pretty damning. Well, it, it of course, eliminates the whole like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, you know, false flag that had been going around. And certainly he knew exactly who they were there to support, and he knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to go to the Capitol, and I expect that we will, you know, by the time our listeners are listening to this, we will know even more about that because we will know a lot more about what was happening in the Willard Hotel on January 4th and 5th and what Trump knew, et cetera. But yes, all of that is, I think, quite damning. But let's remember, let's take a step back. We have known forever that Trump told Brad Raffensperger to find votes because there was no legal recourse. We have known forever that he told Richard Donahue, after having all of his bogus conspiracy theories completely debunked one by one by Donahue, and he said, well, just say that the election is corrupt and the Republican congressman and I will take it there. It, it should not have required Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony for the Department of Justice to all of a sudden say, oh, well, maybe we should be investigating the president here. It's it's preposterous to me. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't fully get it. The article spells out some reasons that there may have been, you know, some some lack of willingness to go after the former president. There's a discussion of how, you know, even conversation focusing on, you know, the, the trail to Donald Trump is not something that goes on at the department. I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait wait and see. But as we started to talk about Pat Cipollone, the former White House Counsel, after months of of resisting finally decided to come and testify, and he did so behind closed doors, reportedly for up to eight hours, asserted privilege of some nature, a few of the times, but it sounds like not on every question. And he gave, you know, a bunch of credible testimony that the members of the committee have said corroborated other things that they have learned. He didn't contradict anything that is part of the narrative that has been put forward by the committee. Why do you think a guy like Cipollone, and then we'll get to Steve Bannon in a moment, who also seems to have had a change of heart, but why do you think a guy like Cipollone, who's a obviously a very credentialed lawyer himself, 
fights, 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 and then decides to come testify. I think this is the true power of these hearings. And I think that Cipollone wanted to do as little as possible to satisfy his obligations and sort of just kind of get by without getting in crosswise with the committee, but without being too cooperative and too forthcoming. And what happened is, as these powerful, powerful hearings have come out and Cassidy Hutchinson testifies to really damning things that Pat Cipollone said, the pressure on him to actually comply and come testify. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.